Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. This week we had Kat Traxler from Best Buy. She is the security engineering lead at Best Buy and she's also a researcher in Google Cloud. So the episode is called Finding Bugs in Google Cloud. We went into a few topics within Google Cloud around Google Paas, the different kind of G Suite option that they have. And the reason we went into that is because for people who may be listening in from an AWS or an Azure background, unlike those services, GCP just happens to be another business that Google owns. So they obviously wanted to have some of the other arms around the Google Cloud option and hence G Suite. But I'll let Kat go into this in a lot more detail when she goes through this during the interview. One thing that I would also share, GCP is quite popular. However, bug bounty in GCP space is not as popular as say, people finding and talking about security vulnerabilities in AWS. Haven't really heard much in the Azure space as well, but you kind of see that if you're a popular cloud service provider, you tend to get a lot more attention. And I feel Google Cloud is also getting there slowly. So my hope is after listening to this and the approach that Kat uses to approach a bug bounty and some of the differences she talks about from a GCP PaaS perspective, what she calls old school versus new school. So if you are someone who's interested in bug bounty and from a Google Cloud perspective, I think this is a good interview for you. I would definitely encourage you to check out two of her talks as well, which I will include on the show notes for you to go through. But overall, it was a really interesting episode for me to hear from someone who's a security researcher in Google Cloud. So all that and a lot more on the episode. If you enjoy this free episode from Cloud Security Podcast, we will appreciate your support if you could follow us on your favorite podcast platform or follow us on social media. We are on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch as well. <laughs> but wherever you can find us, it always means a lot when you guys support us by just that little like or thank you that you do, uh, the likes that you leave on our YouTube videos as well. So thank you so much for doing that. As always, we will continue to produce valuable content for you. And next week is a bit of a twist and I will probably leave a, how do I put this? I've had these people as guests before, but there is a twist coming in. So I would not share much more about next week's episode apart from just that hint that I wanted to drop by. So you might see from familiar faces, but in a different way. So all that and a lot more, but for the moment I'll stop talking and thank you Exonius and Bridge Group for sponsoring this episode. We always appreciate the support and I always appreciate the support that all of you provide us. It really means a lot when you guys leave us a review and it means even more when you guys reach out on LinkedIn and just give me some topics to read or explore and bring to the show as well. Checking out the two recent questions that came in were around event coverage for RSA conference and there is AWS Reinforce coming up and I think Google announcements as well. So we're definitely looking at ways on how do we incorporate general cloud security news as well as general cloud security events that we can cover on here as well. So thank you so much for the suggestions and we'll continue to work towards bringing this to you in a format that you like. Sweet. And now you will hear from Exonius and Bridge Crew, and we will get into the episode. Time is the enemy of security, and that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius helps organizations immediately know what assets they have and shows which devices, cloud instances, and users adhere to or deviate from security policies. Learn more and try it for free at exonius.com.
BridgeCrew is the all-in-one cloud security platform for developers. BridgeCrew analyzed thousands of open source Helm charts to bring you the newly released State of Helm Security Research Report. Learn their security insights and more at bridgecrew.io slash CSP. I'm sure a lot of people know you already from your science talk, but for people who don't know CAT, can you tell us a bit about CAT and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So I've been working in security for about five years now, cloud security specifically for about three years. I started out like a lot of people do a, a traditional path, a common path we see from from cloud into cloud security is from application security. And, you know, cloud security is such a, a shiny toy. It's it's the road less traveled, right? If you want to break new ground, if you want to go into a space that, you know, not many problems have been solved yet, that's where you navigate into. And I started out in AWS, like a lot of people do, and then eventually switched over to GCP. It's not like I woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a GCP security expert. I work for a large organization that needed that expertise. And I was tapped on the shoulder to say, go figure that out. So and I was given the, the time and space to do that. Interestingly enough, once I got into the space, I found that there wasn't very many of us, you know, there's just a handful of people, you know, poking at GCP. So it was just fertile ground to learn new things, try new things, and then teach them. That's pretty awesome. And I, I'm glad you did some research as well, because I definitely find there's not enough information about Google Cloud, specifically bug bounty. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, switching gears again, I think first of all, application security, then moving into, hey, how do I improve Google Cloud? Specifically because the employer wanted it. But I'm curious to know from your part, so bug bounty kind of fit into this or bug hunting fit in life? Yeah, it stands out to me what a difference a bug is in the cloud versus say in an application, you might be testing a suite of APIs and you find a flaw in that API that might be like a syntactical error that could be catched by a code, static code scan or something like that. But in the cloud, what we're really talking about is like unintended behaviors so or unintended consequences so what a bug is like super subjective in fact you know there's lots of things that i've submitted to google or i said hey this this shouldn't happen this shouldn't be and the response is working as intended and then i think there's some other people who can attest to having to then convince them that their threat model is incorrect. Interesting. Wait, I guess technically this is still part of cloud security though, right? Like when you define cloud security, do you include? Oh, absolutely. You know, cloud security, cloud security engineering, I typically think of as all of those classic like preventative controls that we do in any other system, just like modified and morphed to fit in with like the ephemeral nature of the cloud, to fit in an agile way, to fit like in line with infrastructure's code pipeline. So cloud security engineering is not that different from traditional preventative controls. And then threat hunting is also a core part or should be a core part of cloud security. And it's exactly the same as your you know, threat hunting and on-prem network. You're just looking at different log sources and you have to recognize how malicious behavior is going to show up differently. But it's the same principles and it's all under the same umbrella. Right. I'm curious to know about your bug hunting process as well then. How would you define that? 
like what, what's your process for starting to do some i guess bug hunting is that the right word for it like what's the technology yeah i mean i think bug hunting is a good shorthand you know sometimes i would just use like service teardown taking a service and melting it down to its core parts i think when you start to look at any of like the the past services in any of the clouds you have to have this really crisp mental model for what you're looking at and that's first by acknowledging that you're always dealing with a server. Whether or not that PaaS service, you know, is showing you that server, whether or not you can interact with it or not, whether or not it's kind of behind the curtains, that API you're interacting with to represent the PaaS service is always going to be on a server somewhere. So that's going to inform how you want to then tear down the service to how it's actually working. Oh, wait. So we spoke about a couple of terms about the PaaS as well. I'm curious to know from your side, uh, when people talk about bug hunting in Google Cloud, and we're trying to cover for people who maybe starting new and maybe I, I guess we'll go into a bit more layer deeper. So for people who may be coming kind of like how you started in the AWS world and landing in GC, what were some of the obvious things that you saw differently? I mean, I guess I am, I believe there's an I am kind of like a instance role, but whatever the equivalent is. So what are some of these terms like you, cause you mentioned API and that made me think, oh, I'm pretty sure there's something else as well, which may be almost like a cross pollination of what people may know from AWS world or uh, cloud world. So service accounts, IAM credentials, I guess, are these part of- Yeah, I mean, I, that's one thing that really struck me quite a bit coming from the AWS world into the GCP world, is just how different they look at access controls and I, one of the things that struck me the most was how user identity and group identity was not a concern of GCP, where in AWS, I know you have a confused look on your face, Ashish. Yeah. I know, uh, you're like, what? Yeah, so it makes sense. If you think about GCP as just an arm or just an offshoot of one of the many businesses that Google has. Google has G Suite, which is now renamed Workspaces. Google has this Maps product. They have Android. They have all of these services. And one of them just happens to be this cloud. And the cloud doesn't store any of your user data. It doesn't store any of its any of your identity or any of your group information. That's all housed in G Suite. So everything that you do in G Cloud is your, it's a, an authorized application to G Suite. So that was one weird thing was that like users and groups just aren't, don't exist in GCP. They don't exist. They're in G Suite. That was interesting to me. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah. The concept of service accounts is completely unique in, in GCP. I think that in AWS, you find a lot of people kind of hacking service accounts in where you create like a local user to do a thing, but it's a user, it's not a service account. In Google, they have a specific like object and identity for that. And then the whole concept of the hierarchy in Google, you have hierarchical policies that inherit. That's not a concept in AWS either. So I joke that the more I've learned about GCP, the dumber I've gotten about AWS. There's just so much you have to unlearn. There's so many concepts you have to unlearn to get in the mindset of, of what I am means in Google. Interesting. And I think I'm glad you mentioned it because it's worthwhile identifying. If someone's doing bug bounty or bug hunting in a Google Cloud context, it does make sense for them to understand that the layout may be a bit different. Just because you've done something in AWS doesn't really mean that would work at GCP as well, even though there may be a metadata API. So coming back to our regular flow, in terms of how people look at PaaS as a service, you know, there's a whole... And I, was, I found it fascinating... When you mentioned uh, in one of your talks about 
the different kinds of paths, the old school paths, the new school paths. I mean, let's just demystify what is paths according to you. And then let's go into what is new school and what's, what is old school? Well, to be clear, I have dubbed certain things old school and new school. These are not official terms. So paths, you can think of as, you know, any type of service that's an additional abstraction layer on top of your raw compute on top of your, your IaaS. So the first generation of paths that you're going to see from Google are a lot of open source products that Google will have an installation script that they made that will automatically install an Apache product onto a VM. And then they'll expose some APIs to you to allow you to configure that. The real mark of it is that that compute instance is going to live in your project. You're going to be able to see it and interact with it as a compute instance, not unlike any other compute instance that you might stand up. And a lot of these older school products are going to be a lot of data science projects. A lot of the things that Google was into and became known for from the beginning, like being really data scientist friendly, researcher friendly. You know, I think I'm thinking like Jupyter Notebooks and Cloud Composer, Dataflow. These are all just like open source Apache products that are really used for like big data stuff. And, you know, oftentimes these products, they suffer from a little bit of disinvestment I would say, well, it's convenient to have like a script that'll automatically set that stuff up for you. Some of the drawbacks are like that underlying infrastructure that's it's stood up. On. They're not always going to be compatible with the latest and greatest options for a compute instance, specifically thinking about like shielded identities and shielded nodes. That's a, a feature in Google Cloud to protect your compute instance, and it's not going to be compatible with a lot of these old school products. Right. The newer school ones, you know, the, the PaaS 2.0, they've moved that infrastructure to their side. So you're not going to be able to see it as a physical object or as an object in your in your project. Oh, wait, if I'm doing, say, some kind of bug hunting in Google Cloud, and then I come across a PaaS service, as you mentioned, so depending on whether it's an open source one, which is, I mean, they put on the lipstick of, hey, this is a managed service, but at the end of the day, it's like there's a compute service under, running underneath. Those compute services that someone can access and I guess investigate them as well for any bugs, or they, they're kind of like the AWS side of the world where you have a quote-unquote a pass service, like a, I'm going to Elastic Beanstalk, I think that that creates an EC2 instance or like some kind of a compute service. And I don't think you're able to access it. You still define security around it. Is that similar in this one? So would that be classified as the old school one where you, you actually, you can see the compute instance? Is that like a explanation of it? Yeah, I guess I'm not familiar with the AWS paths that you're referring to, but yeah, the old school ones are definitely ones where let's say you hit the button that says, I would like one Cloud Composer instance, please. Yeah. And you'll be able to like interact with all of that via the Cloud Composer API, but that's running on some compute instances. And you can also interact with those compute instances via the API for compute. All so right. now the compute will be kind of like automatically set up for you. And that's what I'm highlighting is that the way that it's automatically set up is not always in accordance with best practices. Interesting. Oh, wow. I kind of came around in a rounded way, but I think that's exactly what I took it as. So great okay. point. So how would this be different to the new school? Because is new school the one where you don't see compute, but is quote unquote serverless in the background? Is that why it's Yeah, there? I think like they call it serverless. Yeah, probably because they probably call it because you don't see the server, but it, it'll generally end up being some process running in a container, running in a cluster, in a project, in GCP. So while you have each awesome project, Google will have 
Google's project for Ashish. And there'll be this like mirror project on the other side that's handling all of your PaaS services, or sorry, the specific one that you created, the specific one that you press your button for. Ah, right. And I think I've got a comment here from Darpan as well. You can consider those resources as subordinate resources. I don't know about the term subordinate resources. They are resources that are under, they live in a Google managed project hierarchy. All right. Okay. So, so that's where the hierarchy comes in. But I think yeah. you, you, I guess what I'm trying to get to is it's really interesting. Now, how, what would your approach be to kind of finding bugs in a past situation? Like, let's say whether old school or new school, you have some instances or you have compute instances, which may not be configured to the best of its ability for security best practice. Mm -hmm. So maybe that mm -hmm. could be one avenue. In the new school world where you don't see compute, what's the what's your approach? There? It kind of all starts with the recognition that whenever you're interacting with an API, you're interacting with a process on a compute instance or a container. There's a server there somewhere. And so if you follow this kind of like this like vision of like, if this, then that, if there's a server, then there's a metadata API. If, if there's a metadata API, maybe you can query it. If you can query it, can you return the credentials from it? And, and if you can return the credentials from it, what does those credentials have access to? Right. So IAM plays a very big part in all this. There's no way getting around it. It's IAM, all of the turtles down. Oh, right. Okay. So if someone is doing, so I, I guess if identity is the key in, in the cloud context, which seems to be for all, all cloud service providers, what's the equivalent of keys that I'm getting? What's the secret keys that I'm getting that when I see them, I, oh, that's that could potentially be a way to communicate with the metadata API that you were talking about earlier. So uh, is there a name for it? Yeah, I mean, service accounts can be provisioned with these kind of durable credentials where you can say like, generate and export me a private key to authenticate as the service account. And then like you could hard code it places and then uh, people could find it and that could be bad. Or you can rely on generating access tokens for a service. So when we're talking about like querying the metadata API, what we're talking about is we're calling the Google APIs and asking for the short-lived access token for the service account. And then that's what can be taken to then, you know, all of the other APIs to authenticate to. Right. And while you while we're on the topic of the Google APIs, one common question that I get asked, and I'd love to hear your thought on this as well. Doesn't this mean that your Google infrastructure, as in Google themselves are vulnerable as well, if you find something? Is that like, because it's, you know, I'm sure it's an API shared by them as well. So what, what do you normally respond to that? I, I respond by saying, I think they're smart enough that it doesn't, it means that they are not vulnerable. I don't know this for a fact in every case. And I would certainly allow the Google trust and safety team to make that evaluation. But, you know, should one be able to access an access token from, from a forest service account residing one of their projects? You know, what that architecture has looked like to me is that the permissions assigned to that access token are really only for your project, not for any Google project. So just because you have the ability to authenticate as the service account, you have your access token doesn't, and that, that service account is a Google service account living in a Google project. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's really affecting them. 
because it might not have permissions to do anything in, in a Google project. And so far, that's what I've always seen. All right. So, oh, actually, that reminds me, because I remember when we were talking about this, we actually spoke about P4 service agents and so what's a P4 service agent and why can't I find them on a console? You need to click the button, Ashish. There's a button. Oh. Yeah, they hit, them, they hit them. I mean, why? I mean, yeah, I was going to go why they hide this, but. Oh, I was calling them the sacrificial lambs. I think that was my joke. The P4, it stands for per product per project. Right. So P4, it's very clever. They are service accounts that are identities that live in Google projects. So just like you can have a service account, they can have a service account. When you enable a PaaS service and you say like, I would like this PaaS service, this P4 service agent is created on your behalf and it's given permissions into your project to like do different things to basically support the service and all of the integrations it needs. And those are the ones that, that are interesting to look at from a bug hunting perspective. Interesting. And talking about bug hunting, we have a couple of comments coming in as well. So Darpan was, had, had a thing he had was VPC controls is another effective way to control those yeah. project permissions. I, I applaud you if you can get them running in a real life situation. I think there's a, it's a long way to go with having all of the services that Google offers to work with VPC service controls and then being able to actually enable access through that kind of like IEM firewall in like effective ways is a lot of challenge. So I've never known anybody to actually get to work in a real life scenario. It's lovely to think about. I've got a question here from Gerald. Interesting to know what part of bug hunting process does can't find the most. I think for always and forever, it's knowing when are you done looking at a service? When are you kind of like, I've covered every angle and you know, the score is Google one cat zero. It's hard to make that call. I think what I usually say is not not goodbye, but see you later to services. And I think that that makes me also think probably one of the hardest things to realize is that is this how far I can go versus how deep this rabbit hole be based on the key that you get, like whether I'm sure there's a concept where you can, no, it's not just about your project, but can I access someone else's project as well? Is that is that a concept that exists in Google Cloud where I can almost go, oh, so Kat has a bunch of Google accounts that she has a few projects in, and I have a few Google Cloud accounts that I have a few projects in. Is there like a, for lack of a better word, identity that traverses across both of them? And that can have those come up as vulnerable as well ever? I mean, I guess, with, I mean, obviously coming from a permission perspective, but I'm sure there are other ways to do that as well. Yeah, if you think about it, like all identity is cross-project because identity doesn't live in GCP. Identity lives in this thing called G and then you have an identity here and then it'll have permissions to do things in an organization, in a project. But the fact that you own the G Suite and you own the GCP project, that's just a convention you have thought of. You can certainly, I can assign you, Ashish, uh, permissions in my project and you would never know. Oh, wait. So in, if that's the case, then project for a uh, full project and service agent we were talking about that we don't see. And it sounds like there are a few more things that we don't really see as well. So uh, apart from identity and these things that we cannot see in the Google Cloud Console, which which could potentially could be uh, vulnerable. We had Dylan a couple of weeks ago, and it was really interesting to hear about the perspective. Oh, I think him and Allison, I think they, they copy-pasted, like created a copy of an existing role to yeah. see what Google was giving as a role permission, which is uh, quite excessive to begin with. Are, these, are, are there other threat vectors that we could be exploring? Because it sounds like identity is definitely the key. But it sounds yeah. like there's an opportunity on something that Google provides as well as a possible threat vector. Would that be? Yeah, I just love their research, Dylan and Allison. They're so great. Yeah, the the trick that they came up with was to you know 
basically the ability to like clone a role, create a custom role, but like reference an existing role. And based off of that, you were able to grab all of the permissions and they were able to like really enumerate what does the cloud build service account have access to. Since then, Google has become a little bit more transparent and has some documentation on like, what are we actually assigning this thing? But I think when they were doing their research, it was just like, you had no idea. And, and to your point, you know, you said, why can't I see these services? They, you used to be able to see them in your project's IAM console, but maybe about six months ago, they changed it. So they're hidden now and you have to click this box to actually see them. So yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a Pandora's box with IAM, 100%. And I think that they're not maybe doing themselves a great service by by hiding things from people and not being like extremely transparent. I think that it, it's the same line as like cryptography, like the best cryptography should be not rely on, on like secret code. The best cryptography should be, you know, publicly available. And I look at the services as the same way, like there's a way to mitigate the risk for everybody, but transparency is the key. Wait, and I'm glad there is research that helps us like say shape some of these conversations as well. And do you feel like there are some things like, you know, how I think we got went into impersonation for, for lack of a better word as well. Is, is that something that you find happens still happen, I guess, with once people have access to keys and because I'm trying to come in more from both a blue team perspective as well, because you're doing the blue team part as well, where mm -hmm. uh, you've identified and all right. So at least the conversation that we've had so far, I'm looking at this going, okay, so clearly identity and the kind of permission play a huge part when you're looking at bug hunting from a GCB pass perspective. And if you're looking at this and from a, another layer, are, are there things that the blue team could be doing to say, pick up on these things? Like what are some of the experiences that you can share from a blue team perspective that people can listen to this? Okay. So I know what the two kinds of GCP passes are, and potentially I may have access to compute. There is a Pandora's box within the compute, but maybe we can focus just on the new school part where you don't really see the compute. Can you know what, what is it? Well, it's really hard and I acknowledge the difficulty because a lot of what an attacker might do is also what a software engineer might do depending on the practices of an organization. You mentioned impersonation, right? So that's, you know, that's just one ability from like one identity to then assume and obtain the permissions of another identity. And that chain can go on and on and on and on. What would it look like to always alert in your organization for any type of impersonation? In your organization, it might be like crazy noisy because that might be how you do business. You might have set up your, your roles and permissions so that like everybody has a service account and you're always impersonating that service account to get work done or maybe like as a kind of like shoehorn just-in-time permissioning situation. So following the, the track of impersonation, if you don't have like very rigid architectural patterns is very hard. I will say that the other path to following malicious behavior is honing in on what a service account typically is doing and then what is this outlier, right? So I talked about like service accounts being able to, beyond being impersonated, you can also, you know, hijack an access token for it by the metadata API. Maybe that service account that P4 service account, it's always doing builds for you. And then all of a sudden one day it's creating some storage buckets. For me, that would tell me that something sneaky has happened to that service account. We haven't seen it be impersonated, but we know that the cloud build service account is, is vulnerable to being able to be hijacked. And then it does something completely 
outside of its normal behavior. Interesting. And how would you map out a behavior? Are there like tools in Google Cloud already which map out, hey, this service account is primarily used for, I don't know, just to your point, just as a cron job with the background. Is, is there, I guess, out of the box things in Google Cloud that allows you to track this or manage this? Or is this like a, becomes like a thing you have to find externally or an open source build it yourself? They have a couple built-in APIs that allow you to analyze policy. It's called IAM Recommender, where right. if you give it like 90 days, it'll analyze the role bindings at your project level and say, Sheesh has been granted all of these permissions, but it's only using these permissions. Here's a different role you could give it. That doesn't really close the gap for here's one of the P4 service agents doing something completely wackadoodle, right? So I guess to answer your question, no, there's really not a tool to do that. There are these little helpful APIs to help you get down to least privilege on role bindings. Yeah. And I guess another really good point is these P4 service agents, you know, under punishment of death, you are not allowed to touch the role bindings for them. Google assigns those role permissions and do not touch them unless you want to be yelled at by a person in text. They assign them. They've determined that that's what they need to enable and, and support that service. And if you think it's excessive, too bad. Really? Oh, wow. Sorry, we decided to give it excessive permission because we wanted to. So thank you. Wow. So, and I think, so if, it, if the job of the blue team, it sounds a bit difficult in doing I guess, identifying this. So what are some of the, I was going to say low-hanging fruits. I, I know bug bounty can be one side completely, but I wanted to kind of shed some light on the blue team side of things as well. So uh, is this kind of where a lot of people talk about prevented and have having some kind of detection controls or preventative controls? Like, uh, I mean, is that your approach as well? Or do you recommend? Because I imagine all is all about being continuous as well, that there might not be a service account that may exist right now, but then suddenly two minutes later, after you stop doing investigation, someone just decided to create a service account. So your approach to almost like a holistic for uh, for a blue team. On the preventative side, there, there's too much to care about all of it. I've seen some like very, very large networks and there's too much in a sense to really, to, yeah, to care that much about all of it. You have to have dialed in on what are your most critical assets? Where is your data? Where are the things you care about? And then from there, you can hone in on what's normal access activity and what are the normal IEM role bindings associated with accessing that data? Because you know nothing in the cloud happens without authorization, probably. Nobody's breaking into the Google APIs and accessing your storage bucket without explicit permission to do. So what happened? How were the IAM roles findings changed? And if you can like monitor what you know the access should look like, and you can monitor if that ever changed, that's one like really important step is to know where your data is and then hone in on monitoring the access instead of trying to tackle like all of it. Yeah, actually, that's a good point because that also makes me realize that one way to kind of make sure you're doing the right things is to define identity the right way in the first place. So that's when your comment on, I've defined Ashish can only do these three things, but you have detection. Well, your detection really is if there's a change in Ashish's permission, someone should be able to like, hey, is this required or is it excessive? But because uh, Ashish wants to be admin and we use I am recommended to find out, are you really using all these services that you have under your belt? So that would definitely be going a long way. So I think it, it's almost towards the tail end of our conversation as well. But I'm curious to know from your side, is the bar too high to get into a bug bounty in, a, in the GCP space? Because I feel like 
there's a learning angle that people can take away from this as well. Is is the bar too high for for this? getting into bug hunting in uh, GCP? Absolutely not, and I am proof. I, I'm living proof that the bar is not too high. Look, like, the, the space is so new. It's not like you're going to be walking into, like, 20 years of research and you're going to have to spend years reading through dissertations on the matter. There's a handful of public talks out there. There's a handful of blog posts and articles. And then open yourself up a cloud account, maybe with a gift card, so you don't incur those excessive charges. You know, the points of my talks are to inspire people to go and look for bugs because I'm most definitely not the smartest person in the room. And whenever I walk away from a service and I haven't been able to break it, I think maybe somebody else can. Maybe if I bring these concepts to the masses, somebody else will be able to figure this one out. So so please look at the resources out there. There's not many. Mm -hmm. And then open yourself up. Oh, so that's a great way to start learning this as well. Cloud, open a yeah. cloud account, start. Is there, I, I guess, I, I was going to say low-hanging fruit sounds like the identity space, but are there scenarios where just access keys lying on GitHub kind of a scenario as well for Google Cloud usually, or that's not heard of? Yeah, I mean, there are, I mean, Google definitely has a problem with durable credentials, not in the same way that AWS has, but with service accounts, you can generate that durable credential or private key for a service account. And some people are still doing it for, for not necessary reasons. And then putting them in, in publicly accessible places. Google has made it actually very easy not to do that. You can use service accounts without access keys as long as you're in that Google ecosystem. They have federated workload identities, so you can federate your identities across clouds. So I think if you're ever at that point where you want to generate a private key for your service account, maybe go take a walk and think about it. Like, do I really want yeah. to do this? Is it really necessary? The keys are out there, but they're not, not as big of a problem as they are in AWS. Cool. All right, I think probably a good place for people to start as well. Awesome. All right, I know we've been talking about Google Cloud for some time, and uh, this is kind of like the tail end of our uh, conversation as well, where we kind of switched like some of the fun questions. I've only got three, so it's kind of a surprise for you. It's just for people to get to know you. So first one, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on bug hunting in GCP or technology? Oh, this is easy. Growing tomatoes and gardening and walking in the woods and and generally being kind of a Luddite. Spend a lot of time on a computer. And then when I'm not on, on a computer, I out in, out into nature. Yeah. I try not to wear shoes all summer, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, right. There you go. Cool. Yeah. You and I have, have something in common there as well. Next question. What is something that you're proud of, but is not on your social media? I suppose that I did have a whole other career before security, and this is a whole other conversation. But I did have a very successful career working in the architectural and drafting space space. So this is a whole other career before security, not on my, not on my Twitter. It's up at LinkedIn. If you want to look at it, I was president of a couple, a couple. Oh, wait, yeah. so credential draft as in like you were making buildings. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow. So there are buildings that you can point and say, Hey, I did the draft. Yes. A lot of them driving around the area. I, I know the layouts and everything. Wow. Okay. There you go. That, that yeah. definitely was not dead. Last question. What's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share with us? Favorite cuisine. There's a really great, like counter service Mexican restaurant just a few blocks away and I'm there a couple two three days a week yeah nothing fancy just like counter for counter service cheap Mexican food cheap every Mexican time I go food. to Europe and I come back all I want is Mexican food don't eat the Mexican food in Europe yeah I that that's definitely not the real Mexican food and with that note I think where can people find you I'm sure they'll have questions around exploring and going down the path of Google Cloud 
bug hunting where can people find you online what what are, what are the handles on twitter or whatever that they can find yeah linkedin cat traxler i'm pretty active on the cloud security forum slack and then i'm on twitter as nightmarejs so you can hit me up on there the handle is kind of a throwback to my my javascript day. awesome and i'll make sure i include that in the show notes as well but thank thank you so much for coming in yeah. and i really appreciate you having in having shed some light on this emerging conversation about how bug bounty should become more popular in specifically GCP and not just in like the non-cloud world. So I do appreciate spending time and sharing what you've learned with us as well. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. No problem. And for everyone else who's tuning in, I think next week we have a bit of a collaboration going on. So someone else is taking over the Cloud Security Podcast. Well, are you, for people who follow the Cloud Security Podcast on, on the uh, social medias as well, on Twitter or LinkedIn, you'd probably get to know this. But other, for everyone else who tunes in, we'll all see you next weekend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll see you next weekend, I guess. Yeah. All right. See you next weekend. See you, Kat. <laughs> Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.